0: Yes, hello there, greetings and welcome to another episode of the show. I'm glad to have you with me on this fine day where we're going to talk with another founder and CEO of a very, very innovative, fantastic procurement tech solution out there that only started last year actually, but is growing rapidly. Before we do that, just want to give you a quick heads up that I recently have launched a monthly newsletter with the Procure Tech podcast where every month I'm going to be giving you a summary of everything that's been happening in the digital procurement space during that period and also, thankfully, collaborating with some great influencers and industry experts in this space to give me their snippets and nuggets of gold from their bank of knowledge to help me share that with you too. If you want to get a piece of the action, then just head over to ProcureTech Podcast dot com forward slash newsletter. Sign up there and we will bring you that goodness once a month to your inbox. So on with today's show. And with that, I'm very, very pleased to welcome today's guest onto the show. We're going to be talking all about tail spend and specifically how we can improve the efficiency and effectiveness of procurement and free up some valuable time and resource in how we manage non-strategic spend so to discuss tail spend i would like to offer a very warm welcome to the procuretech podcast to henning Hatje, ceo and co-founder of lotza henning welcome to the show
1: thank you very much chance thanks for having me today
0: it's a pleasure. So before we kick off, maybe just very, very briefly introduce Lotse to the audience because you're, you're a pretty new company. So I'm guessing there's quite a lot of people out there that maybe haven't heard of what you're doing.
1: Yes, absolutely. So Lotse is a procure tech venture that we started in, in 2020. And we're focused on optimizing, i.e. automating tactical spend for large corporations and for mid-sized companies. And what we do in essence is we automate the supplier identification and approach processes and help companies to kind of bring tactical spend, as it is in an unmanaged form in in many companies today, under control.
0: That's awesome. Thank you very much. And we're going to have a good discussion around tactical spend today and some of the different approaches to it what works and what doesn't and and some of the problems that can be encountered uh, all around managing non-strategic or tactical spend so pretty obviously it may seem but tactical spend is very likely to be the next big focus for procurement and for for the business at large simply because it's been neglected by many organizations for for so long with a big focus on you know, the 80% that drives the results. But now, you know, it's getting to the point that companies are having to be ever leaner and do everything cheaper, smarter, better. And and this is now starting to come into focus, especially when you consider looking at the recent Deloitte CPO survey that highlighted that procurement leaders or CPOs top priority over the next 12 months was going to be operational effectiveness. I think this really plays to that point in terms of really tackling what takes up a lot of procurement professionals time. So let's start off with how would you define tactical spend and is is it synonymous with with tail spend you know, or or is one of them describing repeatable versus non-repeatable spend, or or spend that's managed pr- by procurement versus sort of maverick or uncontrolled spend. Just break it down a little bit for me how you would see it. it was the definition.
1: In my view, there are probably many ways to define it, and and arguably there's probably no correct or by the books way, as in as in many terms in in procurement. For us, at so we see tactical spend in many cases as non-managed spend. So that is not managed by, by the procurement teams, especially or particularly not actively. And hence it would usually fall through and stay somewhat unnoticed and unoptimized within an organization. In in many cases that we see it or how we define it, it's mostly indirect in nature, but we also see it in categories that are close to production or close to strategic or direct spend, for example, in MRO tactical spend versus tail spend i would say if if they were both depicted on a venn diagram they do have some overlap um, in in the tail spend world in in our view um, you also have some some parts of catalog spend which is uh, in our view not part of tactical spend at least that's not how we see it and uh, i would say the hardest definition uh, that an organization implicitly can have by which they define tail spend is kind of the thresholds that they use for, for example, if they decide upon how many offers um, you would need for a certain requisition, if it's one versus three, for example, or if certain suppliers are allowed to be included in requests or not, for example, only preferred suppliers.
0: And I think that leads very nicely on to the next question that I wanted to ask, because when you have a policy of only involving procurement professionals for purchase requisitions above a certain threshold, or when you have a competitive bidding policy that says that you have to typically go out and get three offers uh, under certain circumstances, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that there is a lot of untapped opportunity for everything that falls under that threshold if, if you're not doing that for spend that falls below it. And I understand why companies have this. You know, there's a finite amount of resource and uh, you get then to the law of diminishing returns that, you know, it's going to be a similar amount of workload to, to purchase something that costs a million dollars or euro versus something that costs 10,000. But, you know, there is always opportunity there and it's a huge area that that is untapped at the moment. I mean your background actually is consulting and you're a former consultant for for a top tier firm so perhaps you can share some of your experiences that you've seen out there in the field of of the different procurement policies that exist for non-strategic spend and I guess the second part of that would be if if companies are not managing this themselves then what other solutions have there been out there to to do that? I'm thinking specifically business process outsourcing, you're using integrators on, on categories like MRO and and where do you see the pros and cons of those compared to using software?
1: Absolutely. So from from my previous experience and as always I would say there's a there's a spectrum with, with two extremes. Um, that's at least what I witnessed uh, during my time at, at Boston Consulting Group. I would put that on on two dimensions, actually. So the first one is um, spend thresholds that an organization theoretically sets in their processes, in essence, below which threshold they allow for, for tactical spend to exist. Um, in that sense, that you only need one offer, for example, that you, you can just buy what you want um, spoken in a very colloquial way. The second dimension is a bit softer, namely I would call it the diligence with which a policy is enforced, and also here you have um, two ends. This is obviously um, this has not only to do with the perception and mandate of the procurement function internally, but also with the men or, or women power of of that function, how much yeah power and 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 capacity they actually have to enforce the policies they they've been setting for the organization. In terms of the thresholds, we've seen both. We've seen very cost-conscious companies that require three offers, for example, for anything that is even above 5,000 euros. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there are companies that don't mind anything below 100K to be sourced with a single non-negotiated offer. I would say pharma Pharma is is one of the examples um, where we have seen this. It's just not that relevant in their perspective with the long r&d cycle of- they
0: make far too much money right
1: <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't put it that way uh, but uh, just in terms of um, the budgets they're having on their r&d projects they, let's put it that way they have other priorities so i would say the story changes a bit though when you when you add this enforcement or this diligence dimension that i mentioned before especially in those firms that have rather f- uh, strict uh, thresholds so which we believe is in theory a great thing usually tend to be rather lavish uh, with their enforcement. And that's actually for rather obvious reasons. More events uh, fall within the range. So um, more events to be handled, uh, to approve, to check. But there's usually no capacity to do that extra work. When sizing the procurement function, that bit was, well, obviously sometimes overlooked. And then paired with uh, legacy tools, um, these organizations are actually usually not in the in the position to even follow up on their on their own policies. Just as an example, the tip of the iceberg that that I witnessed was uh, with an organization that operates in in a very very cost conscious uh, industry and one of the most cost conscious industries uh, in the travel industry, um, or airlines uh, to be specific, and um, they actually had a few purchases of more than 100 000 euros um that were not forced using several several competitive offers just one where there was obvious savings potential was lay, lying around and and in my view um people not just procurement managers but also within the functional areas of the business should have been aware of that at the moment and to answer your second question or to elaborate a bit on on, on the topic of what other options or what ways are there to, to yeah, handle tail or tactical spend, however we want to define it now? And um, yes, business process outsourcing is, I think, for long or has for long been uh, quite accepted practice and, and it still is certainly today. In our view, though, this is a bit... It's kind of an, an, an outdated format for, for many for many uh, firms. Uh, first of all, because the message that you send internally, in my view, is not the greatest, that you outsource just certain parts of the, of the activities, especially if there's actually value in these activities as well for the organization. And the second is that um, by now, and, and that probably leads us to, to the discussion about technology later on, and by now there, there are different ways uh, that you can use I don't want to say better ways than BPO because uh, you get your results with BPO, but there are different ways uh, that you can enable your own organization to do those things semi-automatically, let's say using data and using novel solutions that help you automate parts of these processes.
0: And that also then means that you don't have to have a team managing and looking at due, due diligence and compliance of of your bpo provider as well which i i suspect is another obvious advantage or cost saving of doing that
1: correct and you you would kind of shift the the skill set or the the, the skill set of the people that you would have in such a function away from yeah compliance and and and, and uh, governance of of the bpo um over to um actually tool selecting tools selecting technology providers Calibrating, calibrating those technologies, and, and setting policies, um, and and kind of benchmarks and, and and boundaries for the tools and for the people to operate in those tools or using those tools.
0: So, just a quick interlude to make you aware of a couple of things. ...that we want to bring to you in the digital procurement space. So first of all, if you'd like to get all of the latest news on all things in the ProcureTech space... ...then just head over to ProcureTechPodcast.com forward slash newsletter... ...where we will bring you a monthly summary of everything that's happening... ...along with thoughts and contributions from industry experts... And if you're actually ready to take action and you want some one-on-one advice on the best digital procurement solutions that are out there to solve your unique challenges in your business, then just go to bookme.name forward slash James Meads to arrange a free 30-minute one-on-one consultation with me so as I can learn more about your business and the right digital procurement solutions that can solve your problems. And now let's jump right back into the show. And one advantage of using technology is that you, you've already got in your organization the existing data in your ERP system. Assuming we're talking about you know, mid to large to enterprise level businesses that would be running an ERP system. So you've got historical data. So how can you use that data that's already there to simplify or to semi automate the procurement process on on non strategic or tactical requisitions, and what does that data usually reveal that that can then drive the benefits that a solution like Lota, which you've designed can, can can deliver as as hard as hard benefits to an organisation
1: I would say that you can use it for two primary use cases. There, there are certainly more, but the, those are the ones that, that come to mind. One way is to integrate that kind of data in a simple and relevant way into existing processes. So in that way, you can, for example, you can give relevant recommendations as to which suppliers are suitable for a certain requisitions and should be considered based on internal data points from historical purchases and also based on external additional data points that providers such as Lotze. Can add to those or can integrate in those into those processes, and add to the uh, to the to the workflows of of the users. Another way, you know, is to use the data points to identify consolidation potential. For example, in your non-strategic supplier base, this is usually a classic procurement consulting work project. I would say, but today. You don't necessarily need a whole team of consultants for that uh, anymore, at least not in in many cases. In essence, software and trained algorithms that understand what's in your supplier base can help you identify, for example, unnecessary redundancies in in your supplier base. Again, based on historical purchases and the data points uh, that you have within your firm on your firm suppliers, uh, you can use those you can use those to make analyses on, on redundancies that are actually not, not required and, and hinder your business. And then you can, in the end, use these analyses to run, for example, tenders to do framework contracts with only a few suppliers, a few then more strategic suppliers for certain items.
0: Yeah. And as someone who's done that activity manually, not not as a consultant, but as an employee who's been focused on regional procurement of MRO across a number of different factories, I I definitely see what that value proposition could be in terms of, you know, being able to get the user, i.e., the category manager, to the decision point much faster than than doing it manually with with an ERP system and an Excel. Yeah, definitely. So, other than other than what you mentioned around consolidation and um, you know acknowledging that many of the activities are repetitive. Uh, and the processes are similar, regardless what company you look at for for tail spend or tactical spend. What other areas of the source to pay cycle on uh, on tactical spend do you see as being relatively easy or practical to to automate, aside from what's already been done in some of the some of the source to pay procurement tech? What else can Lorter bring to that? To, to that sort of part of the business other than what's already out there as established solutions?
1: Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, because this is what we actually do, um, we see it in supplier identification. There really is no need in our view that someone in the organization remember, for example, from last year um, or from back in the days that there's this one supplier for ABC that they can deliver that's something algorithms and machines can do today and if they if they cannot do it 100% they can at least guide you towards it and give you a good basis for your for your decision as a, as a category manager or even as a requester in somewhere in the in the business unit i also believe that uh, the requisitioning process itself has a high potential for at least the semi automation this is likely the most interesting application of automation, in my view, in terms of the interplay between humans and technology. You can, if, if you kind of think this through, there can be, uh, you, you can enable as a, if, as a software provider, you can enable people in organizations to be much more efficient and also effective in the way they request something because they get smart, suggestions based on both based on historical data but also based on external data points that we can add and enrich um in the requisitioning process when someone defines their request these in my view are are two of the most obvious or two of the most relevant activities
0: so what we're saying then in simple terms is that it doesn't require historical knowledge or or you you're not a at the mercy of having to try and pull that data out of an ERP system, which let's face it, most procurement people don't really know how to use all of the functions in, in one of these big cumbersome ERP systems. So it, it brings all of that into a single source of truth and, and also takes supplier communication outside of buyers inboxes. So if they leave the company, for example, or they're, or they're off sick or they're no longer there for whatever reason, that data is going to be accessible for, for for posterity in in one central system. So yeah, you know, I can I, I can certainly see as with all procurement tech, bringing it into that one central source of truth, is is naturally a big advantage when we think of you know how the future economy is going to be driven ever, ever more by by data. So with that in mind, and with all of the with with all of the automation or semi-automation or time saving that that tools like this can offer what do you see ultimately then as being the end game for for how tactical spend will be managed in future i mean do you think that will ultimately be managed a lot more by the requisitioners themselves you know do do you see this moving to a more self-service procurement you know just taking the example of 30 years ago when you went to put petrol in your car there was probably a guy there that would that, that would help you put it in whereas now you know everyone uh, ev- everyone fills up their own car do you, do you think that will that will be the trend
1: yes yes and uh, yes in the in the mid to long run i would say so in the mid to long run i see a fully autonomous procurement function when it comes to non strategic spend however there will be two roles still in that in that procurement function and um, there will definitely someone who's a, a product or tool owner who makes sure that the right systems are in place and that they're functioning as expected as to as defined by by um, by the business and also there will be let's just call him or her a policy owner who sets the frame in terms of the content the strategy the minimum requirements for suppliers etc so that that the systems actually know, how to behave and what to do, and the rest. I would actually say yes. There, um, you had a nice example there, and, and I always like to take the IKEA example to offload it to the internal customer. And in that, in that sense, um, that I believe will happen uh, to the to the requisitioning process or in, in in tactical spend, definitely. And, however, in the short run, um, I, I definitely or actually see more resources going into procurement not just to bring about this change, because this change will take some time and it will take effort in the functions um, to to, to bring it about, but also in in a more strategic sense, I would say, um, the procurement function deserves so much more attention in a company internal context than it's mostly given today. It's a bit like with, for example, compliance in the last decade, when money laundering, fraud, sanctions regimes were global topics of interest and that were ultimately then very, very crucial to to handle for any organization. I see kind of the similar challenges or new challenges in a similar context now that are relevant to procurement, climate change uh, first and foremost, but also uh, generally supply chain resilience. Procurement, in our view, is pretty much in the best spot in an organization to build a governance around these challenges. Because so much of the transactions of an organization to the outside world go through this function. So, yes, but ultimately, coming back to your question, um, I I see that the requisitioners will do all the, let's say, operative work themselves.
0: And there were two great points that you made in that answer that I would really like to highlight, because I think they're so important to anyone that's having to or build or orchestrate a procurement team now going forward is that number one the move towards a more self-service model and that, that you use the ikea example i think is really touching because generally speaking people love ikea yes you know there are people that hate it and don't like the concept but whenever you go to an ikea store it's always busy right so i mean it's and it's such a hugely successful business that they're clearly doing something right so i think that's improving the end customer experience. And if a requisitioner can go in and use something that looks and feels like an e-commerce store when they go into it, and they don't have to have the, the the pain point of contacting a procurement person who, in reality, probably doesn't want to go out and buy something tactically because it's not a very challenging piece of work. I think that from a stakeholder and procurement relationship perspective, that is really, really important. And you're absolutely right i think procurement now has much bigger challenges uh in, in in the wider world than they than than doing day-to-day transactional and tactical procurement and i think it will require a different type of procurement professional to perform that role but ultimately i truly believe that procurement as a department will come out of this with 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 a much more upskilled team and a much more professional team because those new activities and responsibilities that are coming into procurement you're right with with procurement being essentially the fulcrum of the whole supply chain when it comes to supplier and external vendor management i think that will really elevate the the function but in order to do that as you say some of the more day-to-day mundane tactical work has to be automated or simplified or or pushed onto the end user to enable them to to self to self serve their their requirements. Yes. So my, my final question, Henning, is where do you feel the gaps are now in terms of user experience when it comes to things like tracking requisitions, acknowledgements, delivery dates, goods receipts, you know, it, with, with lots of brings all of that into one place, doesn't it? So maybe just tell us a little bit about that before we sign off.
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's definitely one of the key challenges, which is also one of the reasons why the space is so interesting and there's so much potential uh, to aid the buying teams, but also the requisitioners. Um, the gap exists, um, in our view, at Lodz mostly because it takes too long to adapt or to change processes to new circumstances. Most of the processes that, that organizations use today are still made for like standardization, and, and they were built at a time when data and data insights didn't really play a role in these processes. They were, the input, in fact, was in 95% of the cases purely driven by the human behind the machine, which is great, but as we see today, there, there are more advanced technologies that can fuel these data right into the, into the processes. And I guess you've experienced this uh, yourself um, in, in the past. It just takes a lot of time and willpower before an organization is ready for for a change and to adjust the process um, that has been there or been around for, for quite a while. But that's exactly what we need, I think. Less process or new processes um, that accommodate for these abilities for data analyses um, that we have today. And yeah, that's kind of an, an issue... Still, in my view, that the user experience and 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 the, mostly the user experience is just not intuitive and, and it's not fun to use technology in, in a corporate context today, even, even today in 2021. It was neglected for quite a long time that user experience in B2B environments has so much potential. And we were wondering, especially in the last two years when we were designing lots and, and, and starting the whole the whole project. why does no one seem to care about creating a software experience in B2B that users actually enjoy? People spend so much time during their day in, in front of these systems and still most of them still look like and, and feel like also when you use them when you when you jump through the process steps and back and forth uh, like they were built um, in the last century.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I see maybe there are more and more companies doing this now, but but you're right that we're still very very much on the left hand side of the bell curve, and maybe I'm just in 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 my own sort of little little world in my echo chamber because I talk to so many people like yourself, but it, when you go into the wider world, there are there is a there are a lot of organisations that are still using. Excel, SharePoint, and an ERP system as their digital procurement tools So yeah, I think the, the overwhelming majority are, are still are still at that phase. Yeah. So final question, Henning. If anyone would like to learn more about Lordso or maybe see a demonstration of the software, what's the best way that they can get in touch with you?
1: The easiest way is definitely to just send me a message on LinkedIn, um, or send me an email. We're always monitoring our emails, obviously, and we can definitely be. Yeah, set up a call within a few days and, and give anyone interested a live demo and discuss if if tactical spend is a challenge for for their organization or just brainstorm a bit on on the future of procurement
0: excellent thank you very much for joining me it's been a pleasure to have you and learn more about your solution and yeah keep in touch and good luck with your growth because you recently got funding and i hear you're growing pretty quickly at the moment
1: Great. Yeah. Thank you very much, James. It was fun speaking with you and keep in touch.
0: Will do. Thank you. So as Henning alluded to in that interview, freeing up your resources so as they can spend time on what's going to be a critical requirement for procurement teams going forward is really the biggest usp that he can give to try and sell his software so thank you once again for listening to the ProcureTech tech podcast i know that there are a lot of other podcasts out there these days in the procurement space so i'm very grateful that you've chosen to insert me into your earballs on this fine day. If you like the show, then don't forget, please subscribe in your favorite podcast directory. And even better, leave us a review if you like what you hear so as we can more reach more people with our content. Follow the LinkedIn page to get recent updates from us. And until then, I will see you next week with another great show. Bye for now.